Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Be sober. Serious-minded. Be vigilant. Always alert. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's you. And that's me. And Peter brings this to our attention. And he tells us not only the reality and truths about Satan that we need to know and understand, But he also tells us how we can resist and succeed in not being devoured by him. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Peter's first letter, 1 Peter, chapter 5. This will be the last sermon in our series here from 1 Peter. We've seen so many, many great things in 1 Peter. But let's read, by the way, page 1394 in the Bible that's in the chair. If you don't have a Bible with you, we really encourage you. The chairs are in front of you. Someplace should be a Bible. Encourage you to follow along. It'll help you to understand what God wants us to know here today. Page 1394. So 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll start in verse number 8. Just what I just said to you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To whom be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask you to speak to us from your word today, that your spirit would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that we would see what's really true. We would understand how it connects with where we're at in life. And that I pray, Lord, we would surrender ourselves to you already to respond uh, to whatever you would show us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Peter starts off talking about Satan here. It talks about the, uh, just some matter of fact. He doesn't say, here's a list of things about Satan. But nonetheless, we see some facts about Satan in our passage here today. So the first one is this, that Satan is real. The devil is real. Okay, uh, now we're going to look at a couple passages of scripture here, and I'm going to tell you how this works. This is from the Old Testament in the prophets, and what's happening here is God has led this the prophet, first one's Ezekiel, second one's Isaiah, to talk about an earthly ruler who is who's ruling at that time, and or to prophesy and say, "Hey, here's where you're at." And it, both of these rulers were in, in big trouble because of how they had stood against God and the things of God. Okay. So he's telling them this, but it's, it's as he talks to them, all of a sudden, the, the language kind of seems to change. 
And, and it, many Bible uh, scholars, and, and I, I agree with them, are saying he's talking about more than just that earthly ruler. And here's the idea. It's the idea that here's this earthly ruler. If you could picture the earthly ruler right over here where the keyboard is and the lamp. And then uh, he's talking to this earthly ruler and saying, here's what you've done. Here's what God's going to do because of it. But then he, he looks and looks beyond that earthly ruler. And in the background behind him, he sees Satan. Because Satan is behind it. And so he begins talking to Satan. And so it's all intertwined there. All right, so let's look and see. Uh, it seems that uh, Satan did not start off as this evil being, but as a glorious creation of God. So let's look in Ezekiel and see what he has to say about it. Again, he's talking to this king, but now he's looked beyond the king to the power behind the king. And he says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Can you already see how we're not talking probably about an earthly king anymore? Okay, so we've, we've, he's looking beyond the king to the power behind him. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Remember, Adam and Eve created, and who shows up? Satan does in the serpent, okay? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then it gives us a list of those. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Timbrels? Do you guys know what that is? Satan had built-in tambourines. He wasn't Satan yet or something. I don't know. But the idea of a rhythm section, okay? And the pipes is referring to, you know, we think of a, a pipe organ, right? Organ, the pipes making sound. Sometimes we talk about a great singer. You say, wow, what a set of pipes he has or she has, okay? So he's talking about music. Somehow we're the connected with Satan when he was originally created. Uh, he was actually named Lucifer called the son of the morning. We'll see that in the uh, next passage. But so music, I mean, he is, he is perfect. He's beautiful, I mean, glorious to, to look at. And it's music maybe that just kind of emanates as part of who he is and what he does. Let's continue. You were the anointed cherub. That's the cherubim who would cover the throne of God. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Iniquity is, we use that word for sin, but it really is more specifically, it's self-willed. That's that idea of what iniquity means. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, okay? So we see that he was a glorious creation of God who became self-willed. And so Isaiah, in doing the same thing, talking to the king, and then looking beyond and seeing Satan, says this about him. Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God is this oftentimes a reference to how the Bible talks about the angels in the heavenly realm. And he says, I'm going to make myself above every other angelic being. But here's the real problem. He says, I will be like the Most High. Now I want you to know something. This is important because he didn't say, 
I'm going to be higher than God. Because I think if you're in the presence of God, you can look and see, no, you can't be higher than God. God is the, right? But he says, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to set myself up as God like he is. Which means I'm going to do what? I am self-willed. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to determine how things are going to go. And, and so this is at the root of how Lucifer became Satan, okay? Uh, cast out of heaven. At that point, he's, we find him cast out of heaven a number of times in the scriptures, okay? But he's cast out of heaven here, and he is now this lion, this adversary that you and I have, okay? Um, in fact, let's look at some pictures here. All right, and I just picked a few. Okay, I mean, this is, you find Satan, sometimes it's comical, sometimes it's not, sometimes, man, there's some really evil-looking images. I didn't put those up for you, okay? Um, but those are, none of those kinds of images are what we're finding in the Bible of how he's described. There are, it's grabbing some imagery here and there that people have then brought all together in their own minds of what Satan is like, okay? Um, but this is a problem. It's a problem that in our society, if you say to someone, Satan, the devil, it's these kinds of images that come to mind, right? Well, a man named C.S. Lewis, uh, a great Christian apologist, able to describe and teach, but he, he, taught, he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. And the Screwtape Letters is this, this fictional account of an old uh, seasoned demon talking to his nephew who is new at the job. And he's talking about how do you deal with these human beings that you've been assigned to? How do you, how do you handle that? And warning about things and giving him ideas about things. And so he talks about this idea of people believing that there's a devil or not. People believing there's Satan or not. So let's look and see what he says. He says the fact that devils are, and this is, this is not C.S. Lewis talking, this is that seasoned demon, the one with all the experience about human beings, okay? He says this, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. And I would say to you that if you go out and ask even people who go to church in you know, different churches, and if, is there a real devil? Is there a Satan? And they would say, I don't know. I don't think so, right? There's an evil force or something, right? But this idea of a personal being that is Satan, the devil who's actively at work, seeking whom he may devour, they have fallen prey to this, you see. But let me be real clear to you. Satan is real. Is absolutely real. Um, in the, the Old Testament, by the way, I, I just looked up the word for devil, demon, Satan, and, and, and looked up these references, and I didn't go to, sometimes he's referred to other ways. I didn't go to those. But just Satan, demons, devils, the references are there's 18 times specifically in the Old Testament, okay? And there are 139 times in the New Testament, 90 of which are in the Gospels, 30 of which come from the mouth of Jesus himself, the Son of God talking about them, 49 more times in the rest of the New Testament. Satan is real. God says so. Okay? 
So, so that is settled. Now the second thing we see here, if we look at this verse again, verse eight, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, he's real, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now I don't know about you, but the idea of being devoured by a lion doesn't sound like a good idea. Doesn't sound like a pleasant thing. And so here's, here's the truth we need to see about Satan as well. And we, we probably already know this, but Satan hates you. And he wants to destroy you. He does. Okay? Jesus talks about Satan and what he was like. And he describes him this way. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And then he repeats it, a murderer from the beginning. Murderers destroy people, don't they? They destroy the person they kill and they destroy the lives around it. Uh, this destroy, destroys means to bring to ruin. And so how was Satan a murderer? Well, the way he was a murderer is that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden, as we already read about earlier today. He puts them in there, they have life. He made them a, a living soul, it says, when, when God breathed his life into them. And then he told them, hey, you can eat any tree you want. There's just one tree you don't eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And who shows up? Satan does in the form of a serpent and speaks to them and tells them, you know, listen, God's holding out on you here. You can be like God. Boy, does that sound familiar? Satan's first lie to people was you can be like God in your own life. You can be like God like the Most High. And he convinces them that this is a, a good thing to do. And they buy into it. And the moment, I mean, God had said, if you disobey me in this, the day that you do that, the moment you do it, you will die. You will surely die. And so the moment that they disobeyed God, they died spiritually. Maybe we talked about deep down inside, that spiritual part of them all of a sudden became dead, to God, he took their lives in that sense and brought all of the pain and the suffering and the death into the world because of it, okay? So you see how he was a murderer? He took their lives. And by the way, all of us as well, because we're all born spiritually dead, in need of a savior, in need of God putting something into us. Um, so let's look at these verses here. He says, your adversary, your adversary. This refers to, it's, it's a word uh, that in the Greek language was used for someone who was your opponent in court. Someone who is trying to prove and, and, and finds you guilty and put you away or have you condemned to death or whatever. That is what this means. And so he's our adversary. He is going against us. He's trying to defeat you. He wants to defeat you. Okay, so let's, let's look here a little farther. The adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The word devour, we know what it means, but very literally it comes from a word that means to swallow up. You're gone, you're done, taking care of you, don't have to mess with you anymore. Know that Satan wants, he hates you, he wants to destroy you. And he's described this way in, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, in verse number nine and 10. He says, the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels 
who we would call demons now, were cast out with them. And then it describes him, the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, the accuser of our brethren. This word is the word in the Greek language that was used for a prosecuting attorney. Where was it, right? He's our adversary. He's our opponent in court. And now he isn't just there. He's coming after you. Okay? He wants, to, he wants to find you guilty. He wants to condemn you. He wants to keep you from becoming a believer if he can. And if you become a believer, then he wants to uh, just mess your life up so that you are ineffective in serving him. All right, so Satan hates you. He exists. He's real. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And then, but there's good news. Okay? Got some good news for you that Satan only has direct access into your life when you or the Lord gives him access. Now, I'm making an assumption here. I'm making an assumption when I say that to you that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have, in fact, settled that issue in your life. You, you know that you're a sinner. You believe Jesus died for your sins, rose again. You, by faith, you say, okay, I'm trusting what Jesus did for me. He arose from the dead. I believe and, and I receive Christ as my Savior. And once you do that, you belong to, to God now. Okay? You belong to the Lord and, and he takes care of you. And Satan cannot get to you directly. He can't get in, he can't come directly into your mind. He can't touch you directly. So you're protected from him. So the only way he gets in is, is first of all, if, if you allow him in, or if the Lord allows him in. So let's talk about that idea. Here is, is that, that God um, will not allow Satan to do certain things. We see some example of that. Look, uh, do you remember the story of Job? All the bad things that happened to him. How did they happen? Well, God let Satan do things in his life for God's good purposes. All right? So let's look at God's limited permission to Satan about Job. Go ahead. The first thing he says to Satan, he says, all that he has, all that he has, all his possessions are in your power. Only do not lay a hand on this person. So Satan could not do it. You see what I'm saying? He had no access except what God granted him. And God here granted him access to things, other things besides him directly and personally. The story gets ratcheted up in the next chapter. And he says, okay, he is, he is in your hand, but spare his life. You can't kill him. You can touch him directly, but you cannot kill him. So Satan does not have access. Now, if, if God, good, bad, and evil again. This is, well, that's appropriate today. Okay. Um, if God allows Satan to have access, it's because he has good purpose to accomplish through it. And we see this in Job's life. Job came down to the end of his life, after all, everything he went through, and said, wow, I thought I knew you before, God. Now I have seen you in ways I have never seen you before. And because I see you this way, I humble myself before you. And talks about how God then blesses his life and, and that the rest of his life was even greater than the first part of his life. And so God has good purposes. And we see this in the life of Paul as well. So God's permission, he gave limited permission to Satan about Paul. Okay, and here's what we see. Nope, there you go. God's limited permission to Satan about Paul. All right, go ahead. Paul's describing this. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, because God had shown him so much, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, 
till lest I be exalted above measure. So Paul realizes that knowing what he's known and what God had done in his life and what God had shown him, he could kind of, he could do what Satan did, right? Get puffed up and believe, and he says, but then God has allowed Satan access to me physically. There's something, we don't know what it is, something in Paul's life, a thorn in the flesh, that Satan buffets him with. You know what the word buffet means? It's not buffet, he doesn't buffet him. He buffets him, and that literally means to strike with the knuckles, so it's a fist. So every now and then, God allows Satan and Paul go to help him stay humble before God. All right, so if Satan does not have direct access to us unless God allows it, what's, what's the danger? What's the risk? Well, the risk is that you and I let him in. That's the biggest risk, okay? And so how does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. Satan most often gains access into our lives indirectly through deception. Through deception. In fact, that's his number one weapon against us. I mean, I just say to you that if, if Satan somehow rather allowed himself to be seen, he came and knocks on your front door to say, hey, can I come into your life and really mess you up? What are you going to do? I think, I hope all of you would slam the door. Call 911. Yeah. Uh, right? Pray. <laughs> um, so we don't do that, but what happens, he gets in through deception. Consider what Jesus says about Satan from the beginning here. He says, there is no truth in him. And he says it again. There is no truth in him. It's like he said, he was a murderer from the beginning. He, was a murderer. he says, there's no truth in him. By the way, there's no truth in him. Why? Because he is a liar. He lies to us. He deceives us. Uh, we believe things that we ought not to believe. Uh, consider how, see how this worked in the life of Peter who wrote a passage we're looking at today in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's look and see. It says, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Now, does anybody besides me think that's probably a bad idea? Lord, I, you're wrong about this. Let me okay, how, how could that happen? You and I would never do anything like that, would we? I would assert to you that we just might. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying this. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. We're not going to let you die. We're, we're going to protect you. We're going to not, you know. And, and, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Who was he talking to? Not really Satan, although Satan was probably in the mix. He's looking behind Peter a little bit, maybe, but he's talking to Peter. And what we see here is that Peter was more mindful about the things of men than the things of God. The natural ways of man, what made sense to him, than what God is saying. This is God in the flesh saying to him, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise. No, you're not. Nah, 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 nah. We can't let that bad thing happen. But that bad thing is what needed to happen, wasn't it? All right. And so what we see here is that Peter, and, and we can do the same thing, 
be deceived. You see, Satan, like I said, he doesn't have direct access. If you're a Christian, he doesn't have direct access into your mind. But what he has done in this world is planted all sorts of lies and ways of thinking that then just come natural to people. And that's how we let his lies in. And then we act on his lies, and you see it, it makes a big difference. Consider what the Proverbs say about this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, that what comes natural to us. And so Satan has put these lies in the world to appeal to us. And, and here's how this, this goes. It's, it's, let me give you an example. So here's the pastor up here today preaching to you and talking to you. Here's what the word says. And, and maybe sometimes I go to an application. I say, so look, this means you need to do this or you need to not do this or you need to pay closer attention. All that. And you, you think, well, wait a minute. That's not, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make sense. Because in this situation, these kinds of things, you'll hear it in your own thing. Well, of course you have to do this. But we don't really stop and say, wait a minute, what has God said? We just go with the ways that seem right to us. And I want to say to you that whenever you go the way that seems right to you without stopping and consulting what the word says and making sure that you're considered, it's very likely that you are being deceived. Which means you're allowing Satan's lies to come in and to do damage to you and to what you can do with the Lord, how you can serve him. This happened in the area of your money, happened in the area of your marriage, happened in the area of your parenting. Well, obviously you can't do this with the kids. Well, who says? Well, did God say that? Well, there's no way I can with my, my wife or my husband that blah, blah, blah. But wait, what does God say? You see what I mean? How easily we can find ourselves being deceived because we're really hanging on to ideas that Satan put into the world and we've latched on to. And we need to, this is why it's so crucial when Paul says that we need to stop being conformed to the world because that's the lies of Satan and instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds, learning to think differently, learning to think the way God says things really are. Now, let's look here back in the passage again, verse 8. Be sober, vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lions don't roar when they hunt. They stalk quietly. The only time lions typically roar and roar big is when they feel like that somebody or something is intruding into their territory. And then they roar, okay? I want you to listen. I got about just under 30 seconds of roaring here for you to listen. Now, before I do, know this, that the um, lions have been known to be heard roaring five miles away. And the decibel level is about 114 decibels, if that means anything to you. A jet engine's about 120 decibels, okay? So go ahead and play that for us.
Get your attention? And I don't think we were talking, I don't think we got it to 114 decibels. Okay? And so you can understand that if we all of a sudden a prey was walking through the area and all of a sudden they hear that roar, they're going to be, right? Maybe freeze up, faint, and then the lion can devour them, kill them, whatever. And so it is in our lives when we intrude into his territory. And, and so what this means, first of all, is, is for those of you, if you've never received Christ as Savior, you know, uh, that you start listening to what God says in his word about that. And you're starting to consider the gospel and, and Satan or his demons, whoever can see that you're, wow, wait a minute, you're paying attention to the gospel and the gospel is the power of God and salvation. We've got to stop this. How do we stop this? Going to have to try to do something in life that's going to go, wrong. Wait a minute, I, I can't do that. Well, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things. And so that can happen. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you start to believe God and you step out, let me tell you, so we as a church say, hey, we want to feed hungry children in the name of Jesus because we want to reach people with the gospel. And we do. You think we might start to intrude into Satan's territory some places? I think we can expect at some point in time to hear a roar or two. I don't know what that'll be. But the thing is, is what I want you to see is when you hear the roaring, that's, we think it's a bad sign. Could it be a good sign if it means we're intruding into his territory? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, he, we know he's evil. We know, you know his, his powers are limited, but yet we can very easily let him in, in if we aren't careful. So, he says here in the next verse, resist him. Resist him, okay, resist him. Um, I don't know about you, I don't want to particularly get in a shoving, uh, in a battle with Satan. He's stronger than I am. He has greater intelligence than I do. Um, but he doesn't have greater intelligence than God, does he? He isn't stronger or more powerful than God. So how can we resist? Well, that's what it says right in the beginning of verse 8. Be sober and be vigilant. What do those two things mean? Well, the, the sober is a, a, comes from a Greek word that means free from illusion. Free from illusion. You're not being deceived. Uh, thinking clearly. Thinking rationally. Thinking logically. And by the way, that's bigger than you, you know, because that Pastor Dave and I talk about this a lot. Because we see it in us, we see it in you, and we see it many, many times more in the culture around us, is how, how does our culture determine what's true? Largely by how they feel about it. If this is something that I like and I'm positive about, well, it must be true. If there's something I don't like, makes me uncomfortable, and it's not true. And that's why they can say, well, it's true for you, but not for me. <laughs> but that's not going to cut it when it comes to resisting Satan. You have to think clearly. You have to think logically. It's not about how you feel. It's what's really true. Think. Satan is a what? A liar. What do you need to focus on? What's true? Okay, you need to think logically, rationally, clearly about what's true. And, of course, God's word is what's true when it comes to this. And then he says vigilant. That means alert to danger. 
alert to problems, and not just alert, but on the lookout for that. So as you go through life, by the way, isn't it you go through life and you got to, in fact, I would say to you, we're not told to fear the devil. No, 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 don't fear him, but be alert. And if you, uh, you know, do what God says here, you'll be fine. Uh, but be alert to danger, be on the alert, lookout. So not fearful, but alert, okay? So the second thing then is this. Consciously humble yourself before God and submit to him. This is how you resist the devil. So wait a minute. I resist the devil. What I want you to see is that we're resisting the devil not by messing with the devil. Not by messing with the devil. We're resisting the devil by being alert to where we might be being deceived and letting him in. And then we resist him by submitting to God. Look how James talks about this. He says, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he, he connects those things. They go right together to him. Submit to God. This is how you resist the devil. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. It's about submitting to God. It's about the first thing on our list. Moment by moment, we surrender to the Lord. That's how we resist Satan. And almost always, you know, when, when you find yourself in a counseling situation with someone, you start looking at their lives and they have maybe some, some significant problems in their lives. And sometimes it's not because of anything they've done. That can be true. But very often it's also because of things they have believed that aren't true. They've been deceived. They've allowed things in. And so what's happening is they haven't submitted to God. They're doing their own thing. And the solution often comes back, okay, let's figure out what's it mean for you to submit to God here, to humble yourself before God and put yourself in a position where God can now work and bring some healing here. And so this is crucial that we, uh, remember last week we talked about being humble, right? How important it is. And, and it's also humble submission to God is an important way that you will resist the devil, okay? All right, uh, as you do these things, some things are going to result. So there are re results of resisting that become new ways to resist. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. They say, what? Results of resisting become more ways to resist. So I'm talking about we resist him, we, we are alert, we're paying attention, we're thinking clearly, we're being transformed by the renewal of our minds, we're humbling ourselves before God and submitting to him. That's going to do certain things in our lives. And those things that it does in our lives also become ways then that we resist Satan. Okay, and the first one, you will keep growing deeper in the faith because that's what he says here, verse nine, resist him steadfast in the faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So as you grow in your faith, faith that's based on truth, you will more and more recognize what's going on and be able to make better decisions and trust God and grow in those areas in your life. Okay, now um, another thing it says you will learn to see suffering as a normal part of your Christian life. I know we don't like that, but look in verse nine, middle of verse nine, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Your suffering is not unusual. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He's going to use this in your life to grow you in these important ways. But the reason I say this, you'll learn to see suffering 
as a normal part of your Christian life. Over the years, I've seen a number of Christians who really got derailed when suffering came into their lives because they felt, why is this happening to me? I've tried to be so good. I've tried to live the way God wants me to. And it hasn't worked because I have this suffering in my life. And, and so they, they buy into the lie. They've been deceived. And Satan is affected. Instead, we need to say, wait a minute. Now, this suffering is a normal part of life. And if it's a Christian, it's even more normal because God's going to use it in my life to to grow me and stretch me and strengthen me and get me to settle down and all these kinds of things. So this is important if we're going to, and this is, will be the result of living this way, but then it also becomes a way of resisting Satan. Finally, verse number 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. Remember that your highest goal in life is to glorify and serve God and live accordingly. So almost every time in life, as you come to a place where you're making decisions, sometimes we're not making decisions consciously, but we're making them anyway. But we want to make our decisions, say, wait a minute, how do I glorify God in this situation? How do, I, how do I serve the Lord in this situation? And when you track with that, you're not going to make the decisions that put, you know, you're not going to be deceived and go into harm's way. Okay, well, you'd be in harm's way a different way. But you, you're going to intrude, and Satan's going to roar, but it doesn't matter. Because you are surrendered to God and submitted to him. So, yeah, go to that next slide, if you would. Go ahead. So this is, you want to remember, the, the scripture says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you live that way, it's going to become pretty clear. And then, this says dominion. Dominion means to rule over, Right? And so that means we are to submit to his rule. And in, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That means mine, right? And yours, and the whole world will. But it's you and me we ought to be concerned about here. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, and the important word there is what? Lord. That means he is the one who's over us. And we need to submit ourselves to him, come under him, and serve him. All right, so then there's a, finally, I'll leave you with this. What's the key then to resisting? Here's the key to resisting. Your only hope to succeed is to depend daily and sometimes moment by moment on God and his enabling grace. Because you don't have the strength to do this on your own. You just don't. You don't have the wisdom to do this on your own. You don't. You don't have the stamina to do this on your own. You don't. It really comes to throwing ourselves upon the Lord and say, oh God, I need you. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says what? Without me, you can do nothing. None of these spiritual things that we're talking about can you accomplish without Jesus. You must depend on him. And then Paul says something about this idea depending on his grace when he says, my grace actually Jesus said this to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And so if we will depend on him daily, moment by moment if necessary, his grace will be sufficient to protect us from the adversary. And it starts with receiving Christ as Savior if you haven't done that. If you've got questions about that, please see me, okay? Talk to me. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings. I pray, Lord, we take to heart this need to be alert and to think clearly, think consistently with your word and to depend on you. And Lord, knowing that uh, then as we hear the roar, we can recognize it for what it is and, and rejoice that we are uh, serving you in enemy territory and that you are sustaining us in it. Help us, Lord, though, I guess maybe the biggest thing to me, Lord, that we would be alert to see where we might already be deceived and would surrender to you in that and let you change that in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.